if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning. Welcome to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Rob Walgate joining you on this Friday morning. Bob still a tad under the weather, so he's going to take one more day, get a lot of rest, and be ready to roll come Monday morning. But hey, it's an honor, it's a privilege to sit in his chair and have the ability to talk to his audience on this Friday morning and sticking with tradition that Bob has. It's going to be a free-for-all Friday. We're going to open the phone lines. We're going to turn it over to you. I know you what you're thinking. Hey, there's there's not really a lot to talk about on this Friday morning. Not a lot happening in the news. Not a lot happening uh, all over the country. It's 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 been a dull, boring week. Is that Andrew, what do you think? Oh, you're absolutely correct. Not much, not much so going on, but we do want to hear from you. 216-901-0945 is the number. I have a list of things that we're going to dive into. We have a special guest or two that we're going to get on the line and call in later today, but we want to hear from you. Um, 216-901-0945. And the interesting thing to me as it we start this Friday morning is that I was under the impression that there was the debate was canceled for Thursday evening, and I— I turned on NBC last night, and there was a debate. I was shocked. There was a debate. President Trump was there. He debated someone. Um, the difference was he he debated Savannah Guthrie from NBC News in what was advertised as it would take place, a little town hall discussion. Uh, it it turned into a debate. They, they had a lively time together in Florida. Uh, she let her feelings be known. Now, some of you are sitting there and shaking your head and probably saying, Rob, you're, you're saying that, that way because she is a woman and, and she was frustrated and she was angry and she was mad. She was frustrated. She was angry. She was mad. She, I think she was feeling a lot of pressure from folks behind the scenes, from the people at NBC, maybe some of her colleagues, that they were willing to turn over an hour in prime time to the president, I, listen, it's no secret. It, it, it's not a secret. The mainstream media does not like this president. And, and what was supposed to be 
the second of three scheduled presidential debates. They were obviously the second one was canceled, and we're going to get into the discussion of who the moderator was supposed to be of that second debate, a mistake that he made. Uh, the mistake was made, and then lying about it was probably even the bigger mistake. But both candidates last night held town halls. Um, Joe Biden was on ABC. He was with George Stephanopoulos. It wasn't um, It wasn't as lively and as vibrant, and they didn't go back and forth like Savannah Guthrie and the president did. I think uh, folks on the left, and again, I, I want to be clear from the beginning that I am going to come at this and have this discussion from a nonpartisan perspective. I'm a registered independent. Do I have opinions on policy issues? Sure. Do I have opinions on uh, elected officials? I, I take part, do my civic duty and vote, but I am not, I do not want to seem like I would be carrying the water for either party. I'm happy to, to criticize them both. I've sued far more Republicans in my life in elected office than I have Democrats. That's that's just, th- those are the facts. Uh, but when it comes to watching what took place last evening and Savannah Guthrie and the way that she treated the president, um, you know, the interrupting, the arguing, the looking, the, she she was just not a happy person. And then you flip over and you see George sitting on the couch with Vice President Biden and he's laid back and he's got his legs crossed. And the biggest story of the week being Hunter Biden in the emails, in the computer, and that wasn't brought up once. I mean, the the problem is they make it so obvious when you think about had that been one of President Trump's children <laughs> that was involved in that, do we really think Savannah and the team at NBC would not have touched that? Do we really think they wouldn't have brought that up and asked him about it? She was so focused on everyone wants that that gotcha moment. I mean, she he got asked about his taxes. He got asked about uh, the amount of debt he has. And, and I think he was probably more forthright in regards to the discussion of the amount of money he owes. She, she said somewhere in the neighborhood of $400 million, and that's what's been reported. And, and he talked about the number of assets that he has, uh, personal and corporately, and that he isn't even close to being leveraged. Now, he, he also says that we're going to see those numbers when the audit's over. This has been a long audit process. Um, anyone, though, that's dealt with that type of process that deals in hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars of transactions knows that um, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of negotiations that take place. Uh, they talk about the tax structure. Did he pay $750 in taxes? I mean, we've set up, here, here's a deal in this country. And I think Joe Biden can look in the mirror on this one. We've set up a tax structure and system that is insane, far too complicated. It doesn't need to be that way. The IRS code does not need to be volumes and volumes and volumes. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be that way. We can make it simpler, but we've made it that way. And in those volumes and volumes and volumes, we've empowered uh, CPAs, tax attorneys, to have the ability and find loopholes and ways for people to not pay taxes. That's that's what's in there. That's why there's volumes and volumes of it. They're looking. I mean, do, when you file your taxes, do you say, you know what? I'm gonna pay. 
I'm going to pay a little more this time because I can. Or do you look for every angle and avenue that you're given to write things off and to get out of paying a high tax bill? I'm reminded of an old Seinfeld episode of Kramer and Jerry arguing over a tax write-off and neither one of them really knowing <laughs> oh, what a write-off is. And... But that's what the tax code's turned into. It's turned into comedy. It's turned into that. And and I think last night was evidence of how the major news networks are treating the two candidates that are running for office. And here's the thing. Listen, we know that Donald Trump, we know that Donald Trump is going to take on that fight. He, he, I mean, I think he enjoys it. Here's a man who a week ago had COVID, was under the weather. The debate was canceled. That was supposed to happen. Now, some would say it wasn't canceled. One candidate refused to show, and he did. Donald Trump said he was not going to take part if it was a virtual debate. He would not do that. And so he stepped out of it. And remember, this was set up by the Presidential Debate Commission, which was formed in the 1980s, a nonpartisan commission. They, they say they're nonpartisan. They have people with R's next to their name and D's next to their name. And their goal is to provide uh, debates so that the American public, with, with the major candidates, so that the American public can be educated and see when it comes to the issues of the day and what's important and help them make a decision before they vote for president of the United States. But the current president said he was not taking part in a virtual debate, and he walked away. The third debate is scheduled for next Thursday. It is scheduled for October 22nd. It is going to be something if that debate takes place. It's still kind of up in the air. That's also the day that um, Judge Barrett is to be voted on by the Senate. It appears that they have the votes to make her Justice Barrett, but the rules call for a week uh, a week delay, if you will, between um, the Senate confirmation process and the actual vote by the Senate, the advising and the consenting. So they will confirm her. It looks like, barring anything uh, major happening, they will they will confirm her next Thursday, the twenty second, and I'm sure that will be one of the topics discussed um, next Thursday evening. And I can guarantee this: when we get to that third debate. If the moderator does not bring up the emails of Hunter Biden and the things that were done to Joe Biden, what do you think the chances are that the president may mention that once or twice? <laughs> what do you think that the chances are? But I mean, when you look at the debates, what what are we going to get out of that third debate? Is it going to impact anyone one way or another in a decision that they make or just Everyone already have their minds made up. There are many, many better ways to go through this debate process. Many better ways to go through the process. Wouldn't you rather hear from the candidates? And, and we've done this before at iVoters.com. We've held what we've called non-debate debates where both candidates were present. They didn't have the ability to listen to one another. They got 90 seconds uninterrupted. They had to tell you what they were going to do. They could not talk about their opponent or the opposite party. They had to talk about what they were going to do. And so many times today in politics, we don't hear that. 
we hear them attack one another. I, I, I constantly hear Vice President Biden talk about Donald Trump and the COVID response, but other than tell, saying that everyone around the country is being forced to wear masks, what would be done differently? I'm not sure what, what would be done differently. And it's always interesting is the people that are accusing the current president of being the tyrant, the one who tells people what they have to do at all times, you have someone that's running for the office that now is saying he would tell mayors and governors and everyone else to tell their people what they have to do at all times. So, huh. Well, we're looking forward to a fun show today. Fun times ahead. 216-901-0945. We want to hear for you. We want to hear from you on this Free for All Friday. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. Rob Walgate sitting in for Bob on this Friday morning and we were diving in and talking about how debate number two was canceled. However, there was a debate that took place on NBC, and that was between Savannah Guthrie and President Donald Trump. And over on ABC, uh, former Vice President Biden and George Stephanopoulos, they just sat down and had a nice little quaint conversation. But they did take questions from the audience. And I was flipping last night back and forth and trying to watch both and I know people on the left were far more concerned with the lady in the red mask that was nodding her head behind President Trump and who placed her there and how did she get there if she's in agreement with him that way. And they ended up doxing her. They found out who it was and going after um, her to let everybody know who she was. But there was one question I found interesting over on ABC and listening to the former vice president. He got a question from a mom who said that she had children 10 and 8 years old. As the father of children around that age, I had interest in the question. I wanted to see what was going to be asked because one of my concerns is that we're not doing enough to protect the hearts and the minds of our children. Being, being a parent is hard. It is hard work. It's not easy. It's the most difficult job that I've ever had by far. And quite frankly, there's some days that I'm just awful at that job. I stink at it. But I worry about the hearts. I worry about the mind of my children and of all children. They are the future of this country. And this mom last night in Philadelphia asked Joe Biden about her 8- and her 10-year-old. And she went on to explain that she was concerned about discrimination. And I'll be the first to say that discrimination in all forms is wrong. It shouldn't happen. But her question focused on her young kids and the fact that one of them identifies as transgender. And she was concerned about the discrimination when it comes to that. And again, I'll be the first to say discrimination is wrong. We shouldn't be discriminating. Uh, there are things in place. But my concern is for those young kids. She's talking about having children 8 and 10 years old, and they've made the decision And Joe Biden, in essence, applauded the decision of one of those children making the decision to be 
transgender or saying that's what they are at eight or 10 years old. You understand why I'm worried about the heart and the minds of our young people? Eight and 10 years old, and that's a decision. So my question for Joe Biden and my question for that mom is, what if that eight or 10-year-old wants to marry tomorrow? Are we okay with that? They've made that decision. If they know how they feel and they believe they love someone, why would we keep them from marriage? Why wouldn't we let them live that happy life? Do you see what we're doing to our young people? We're not talking about consenting adults. We're not talking about someone that's come of age and says, oh, this is how I want to live my life. You want to do that? Do it. Go live your life the way that you choose to live your life. We're talking about an 8- and a 10-year-old. I, As the father of young kids, I can tell you right now, I don't trust my 8-year-old to make decisions on what we're going to have for dinner all week. But I'm going to sit there and support a decision on how they want to live the rest of their life and how they identify. Now, some of you may be throwing things at the radio saying, Rob, how can you say that? They've made that decision. They know how their body is. Really? An 8-year-old? A 10-year-old? Look in the backyard sometimes. You'll see probably neighborhood kids acting like they're dogs and dinosaurs and everything else. The fact that we're embracing that as a society, that scares me. That concerns me. This is our children. And we're saying, oh, yeah, they probably know. Think back to when you were 8 or 10. Do you think you knew how you were ready to live the rest of your life? Were you ready for that decision? Again, if you say yes, they know at 8 or 10 that they're transgender, okay. Then at 8 or 10, do they know that they want to be married, that they love someone? At 8 or 10, do they know? Everyone's thinking, and I'm going to say it, at 8 or 10, do they know that they want to have sex? And should they be permitted to do that? If my mom's listening, she just wrecked the car and drove off the road. But those are the questions I have. I mean, we pass over this because we don't want to offend people. We're talking about children. We're not talking about grown, consenting adults. And at what point, too, the mother asked the question, at what point does it become the role of the state to raise her children that she has to ask Joe Biden about the question? Shouldn't she be raising the children? We've turned over so much responsibility to the government and allowed them to have a say in every single aspect of our life. And it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. My heart broke when I heard that question. My heart broke. It broke for the 8-year-old. It broke for the 10-year-old. It broke for young people all across this country who think they're going to make a decision at that age in their life that's going to impact them forever, man, think back to when you were 8 or 10. Think back to your friends. Think back if someone would have said that. Again, I'm my 12-year-old wants to drive. I don't let him drive the car, but that's what he wants to do. He's 12 years old. Isn't he old enough to know that that's what he wants to do? Should I let him do it? What else should we let our kids do because they say that's what they want to do or that's how they feel? You see, we've fallen into this trap, and we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this, this trap about feelings and what our feelings have done because our feelings and emotion, that's what dominated the Senate Judiciary Committee 
hearings when it comes to Judge Barrett. So after the break, that's what we will dive into. And I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate joining you on this Friday morning. Before we went to break, we were talking about feelings. Uh, Talking about the feelings of 8- and 10-year-old kids and making decisions that are going to impact them the rest of their lives and what decisions should be turned over to them as children. But I also thought it was interesting that in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings this past week for Judge Barrett, so much had to deal with trying to pull on the heartstrings and feelings of people when it came to the lecturing, I mean testimony, I mean questioning from senators. They had cardboard cutouts, they had pictures, they had stories. Our heart breaks when you hear all those stories. But you can't let those stories that play on emotion impact a judicial decision when it comes to applying law. However, when I heard Senator Hirono speaking, that was her question to Judge Barrett regarding, will you take that into account? I'm sitting there thinking, whether I agree, disagree, or anything with the decision that's about to be made, I don't want it to be an emotional decision. I don't want it to be one that's that doesn't apply the law because I got involved or the judge got involved emotionally so a decision was was made. Um, same with if, if I go to a doc for something, I, I want the doc to make the best decision medically. I want them to talk. I don't want I don't want the emotion of it to, to get in the way and alter it in any way. And I thought if we allow feelings to dive in and fracture things that should be upheld or dismissed based upon law, that's a major concern for each and every one of us. There's, there's, you know, I know I, I, Ben Shapiro, um, I believe his quote, I just want to attribute it to him because I believe that's, that's one of the places I saw it. Maybe he's not the originator of it. It says facts don't care about your feelings. I know there's plenty of Trump 2020 merchandise, flags, bumper stickers that mention um, what you can do with your feelings. When we let feelings and emotion get involved, do we make the best decision? And I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't think we want our justices on the Supreme Court relying on that. Those pictures, those cardboard cutouts that the senators brought in, that they tried to play on the heartstrings of Americans, you want to make your speech, make it on the Senate floor. That's where that needs to be done. That's where that discussion needs to be done. It doesn't need to be done in a confirmation hearing as we're hearing from someone that's going to be sitting 
on the Supreme Court of the United States? Don't we want them applying law, not bringing in their feelings and personal bias? This shows the mistake that we've made in this country from the beginning um, in the sense that, I shouldn't say from the beginning, this shows the mistake that we've made in this country in recent generations where we've fallen in love with the court and we've allowed them to be a lawmaking body. We need to take a look back, look back at the Constitution, the way it was set up, Article One, Congress, Article Two, Executive Branch, Article Three, the courts. It baffles people's minds to know that the original Supreme Court had six justices on it. And the first thing you think about is, well, six, that's an even number. What about a tie? What? Ha- what? They never dreamed they'd be so far off their rocker that it'd be a 3-3 three, three split. But we've fallen in love in this country to waiting till every June for nine justices in black robes to tell us what the law of the land is. No, that's backwards. And Congress has dropped the ball because they could have held these courts in check. And all you we listen to is United States senators talk about their feelings and their personal preference. You got Senator Durbin who lectures in in there was very little questioning, but lectures Judge Barrett regarding Roe that he does not want to see touched, 47-year-old case. But then there's a two-year-old case in Citizens United. No, it's more than two years old. But Citizens United that he does want to see overturned. So, it, again, the feel, it's not the law that's playing into it. It's not the legality. It's their feelings. And as it comes, I'm, I'm going to talk about something briefly that come, goes towards the Senate Judiciary Committee. In those hearings, the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, people talk about it being her dying wish to not fill the seat till after the election. The thing is, that wasn't her seat. She doesn't own that seat. She doesn't get to dictate who gets it next. She has no say in that. And here's the thing. And some people are going to be cringing or maybe turn around, get that awkward sweat going because we're going to talk about someone that just recently passed. But if Justice Ginsburg was really concerned about who was going to get that seat, why didn't she step down when Barack Obama was the president and the Democrats had control of the Senate? Because if she would have done that, there would have been a guarantee that someone she wanted would have gotten that seat. Why didn't she do it then? I think the unfortunate part is that the arrogance, and both parties have arrogance. Don't think I'm just picking on one. Both parties have arrogance. The arrogance of the Democrats, they never dreamed they were going to lose the White House in the Senate. Both. They, They didn't think that was plausible. How could that happen? That's why she didn't step down years ago when she maybe could have had an influence over who was going to succeed her in that seat. Because when it comes to now, you've seen the Democrats are going to have no say. No say in it. And Chuck Schumer can look in the mirror and understand he's the reason why because of the 
methodology. Let me try that again. Because of the methodology that they used a number of years ago when it went to confirming judges. They made the rules. And now they're stuck with them. Now, people on the left have been screaming, saying millions and millions and millions have voted. Therefore, you must wait to confirm Judge Barrett until after until after the election's done. You know what? That was something else I heard last night in the town hall with Joe Biden. He was asked about court packing because that's been the discussion. And what court packing would mean, there's been a lot of definitions thrown out about it. About it. Um, what court packing would mean would be adding justices to the Supreme Court till you get to the number you like and you know you're guaranteed votes. Again, it's not the intent of the court. It shouldn't be set up that way. We've had nine justices for 150 years. The thought of just adding, when would it end? At some point, we're going to end up with 101 justices. There's no constitutional structure for the exact number that it should be. But again, we've had nine for 150 years. But Joe Biden last night was asked about court packing. And he said he would let people know before they voted. He wanted to see how this played out with Judge Barrett and the confirmation process. And I was I, I couldn't believe George Stephanopoulos didn't ask the question, say, wait a minute, until people voted, the left has been screaming that millions and millions and millions have already voted. Why wouldn't you say it tonight? Why wouldn't you say it tonight? Because there's going to be more and more people that vote tomorrow and the next day. But you're going to hold off on giving your opinion? That's been part of their argument that millions and millions have voted. So therefore, we shouldn't have this justice, this judge confirmed to be a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States. (laughs) Oh, fun times. And speaking of voting, later on in the show, after the 1030 News, we will be joined by Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and we will hear from him regarding elections and voting and everything that's happening around the state of Ohio. Um, one thing we haven't hit on yet, and after this break, we will be sure to uh, to dive into that, and that's, that's Steve Scully. Steve Scully was scheduled to moderate debate number two. He was pulled from that, and... Um, he sent out a tweet. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at the story behind it. What happened? Again, the debate last night did not happen because of uh, Donald Trump and the positive COVID test, and he refused to do it virtually. So will debate number three happen? We don't know. But we'll take a look at Steve Scully and why he recently has been suspended from C-SPAN. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Off the wind on this heading line of Marquesas. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate with you this morning. Before the break, we talked about Steve Scully from C-SPAN was scheduled to moderate the debate last evening between Savannah Guthrie and Donald Trump. I mean, was scheduled to moderate the debate last evening between Joe Biden and President Donald Trump. The debate didn't happen. 
well, there was a debate that did happen on NBC, but the debate between Biden and Trump did not happen. And Steve Scully, he's been a little bit of hot water. And the reason is he sent a tweet out asking Anthony Scaramucci, should he respond to President Trump? Because I, I know this is shocking, but President Trump said some things and sent some tweets and made some statements about Steve Scully, who was scheduled to moderate the debate. Um, you know, he'd interned for Biden 40 years ago and the president, I know that comes as a surprise. He said some things off the cuff. He said some things that people found controversial. I know he rarely does that. And Steve Scully wasn't sure how he was going to respond. So he asked Anthony Scaramucci, should he respond? The problem was he meant to ask it in a DM on Twitter, a direct message. He sent it out publicly. Instead of saying, yes, I was asking Anthony for advice, he said, oh, I was hacked. Now, so he lied. He lied to everybody. And uh, uh, tons of people came to his defense immediately and said, he's a man of integrity. He would never lie. If that's what he said, he got hacked. It happened. Now, there are previous tweets that he sent out there where he said he was hacked as well from years and years ago. That's the thing about Twitter and social media, and we'll get into it later in the show, is is those things are out there forever. Um, they're out there forever. So he he was found to have said it before. But when someone hacks your Twitter account, usually what happens is they send something vulgar, pornographic. They send a lot of tweets, or they're trying to sell sunglasses or tennis shoes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you see all those. So the thought that he was hacked, asking Anthony Scaramucci a question that was like seven words long was a little bit suspect. So he lied about it. He got caught in the lie. He's in trouble. He's been suspended. I do want to say though, I am a, I'm, you got to cop up to it. The, the thing is, don't lie. Don't, don't lie. Um, we've all done it. Do we all want some tweets or texts or some things that we've put out there uh, we're all in that group text thread with friends. We're like, boy, I hope this never goes public. Um, it, don't lie about it. I guess that's that's the moral of the story. Uh, don't lie. And he did. And now he is um, He's going to be punished for it. I, I'm a believer in grace and forgiveness. Uh, when someone is sincere and apologizes and asks for forgiveness, I, I don't want to be judged by my worst. Uh, that That's for sure and uh, by the public at whole, at large. So let's keep that in mind. We're in this culture where everyone's to be canceled immediately as soon as they make one mistake. And I'll tell you what, uh, there's one person that walked the earth that was perfect, um, and the rest of us are in big trouble if that's the expectation, if that's the standard we're going to live by. We we are going to make mistakes. Should he have done it? No. The president jabbed at him, antagonized him, and um, and he responded, and then he panicked because he realized that uh, that he was caught. So we're going to go to the phone lines now. Amy in Hudson. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to the Bob France Authority. Good morning. Thank you for talking about feelings and facts. Um, I would like to share a very quick story uh, what happened. Years ago, I went to hear... Henry Kissinger, who was speaking at the Akron University. And the thing that I took out of his speech was, I thought, very profound. He said that we have become a nation of pictures rather than a nation of words. Then he said, pictures 
convey feelings. Words convey thoughts. So I, I thought of that when you were talking about the pictures and graphs the senators were showing a couple of days ago. No, well, we, we appreciate the call, Amy. Thank you for calling in and sharing. And, and yet it, it's clear that they were attempting to play on the feelings, that they were attempting to play on the heartstrings of those watching. They were pulling out all the stops. Senator Booker said the goose is cooked. I mean, he, he knew that there was very little they could do to stop the process. The Republicans had the votes. They were just going through it. So they were going to do, the Democrats and the left were going to do everything they could to try and stop that. And they were going to do it by trying to play upon feelings. Feelings don't pay the bills. They don't pay the bills. We're going to go to Sister Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn. Good morning, Sister Mary Grace. God's blessings. How are you? I'm well, thank you. The point is, this is an egregious situation, and I pray for it all the time from our children, because what they're teaching with the 1619 Project is an inculcation into our children's lives, and it's going from 2 to 12th grade. That is death in still Ohio. God help us all. Well, But it's against our Ohio Constitution. Well, the, children such wickedness and to inculcate them into um, prostituting themselves, gender change, all this stuff. They shouldn't be seeing porn. These children should not be seeing porn. It's been given to our Attorney General Yost, and that was with Protect Ohio Children. I couldn't watch it. My sister was vomiting, and had to watch it in segments because she said it was so disgusting. No, there, I don't want to see it. There's no doubt. There's no doubt we need to do a better job, and thank you for the call, Sister Mary Grace. We need to do a better job protecting the hearts and minds of our young people and what we teach them. And we've we've turned that responsibility in a number of ways over to the government, whether you want to look at education, whether you want to look at expectations of what they're to receive from the government, and we need to do a better job protecting the hearts and the minds of our young people. They take it all in. I mean, just from the technology standpoint of what they see from such a young age, I think about, and we're going to get into later in the show probably, the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. I don't know if anyone's seen The Social Dilemma. You should watch it. Before you watch that, you should watch the movie The Circle. Tom Hanks is in The Circle. Watch that. Then watch The Social Dilemma or Social Dilemma on Netflix, um, and it will blow you away to hear people talk about the technology, the people who started this, the people who found this, the people who talk about the psychological ways that they, in essence, toy with your mind, the, the person that invented the like button on Facebook and what that provides. Uh, There's a quote in it that talks about, I believe it's, what is it? Drug dealers and software developers. Those are the only two industries that speak of their customers as users. Users. If you don't know what the product is, you are the product, right? And that's what social media has become. That's what it's turned into. It's blown up this week when we've seen Twitter and the censorship that's happened with Twitter and not being able 
for hours and hours to be able to share the story of Hunter Biden and the computer and the emails and everything that was in play. And that's what people turn to. I mean, that's become an addiction in, in our young people, the technology that they have at their fingertips, the things they're able to read. The, more importantly, it was talked about pictures, the things they're able to see. I mean, 30 years ago, you wanted, you had to find a, a tape hidden in a buddy's house that maybe a, a dad hid somewhere or a magazine under a mattress. You had to go look for it. The images our young people can see at the click of a button. And not only young people, I mean, the most visited websites in the world. That, we don't talk about this a lot because people, again, get that awkward sweat. They're porn websites. Most visited websites. Look at, look at the top 10 visited websites and look at what's listed on there. It's the technology. It's what's at our fingertips. It can be used for good. But as Americans, we found a way, and as citizens of this world, we found a way to mess it up. When we come back after the break, we are going to be joined today by Roundtable, American Policy Roundtable President and CEO David Zanotti. You are listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. 